the small fringe minority of people who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views. Uh, Hey, welcome to the Unacceptable Views podcast once again. Hey, Dave. Hey, Reggie. How's it going? Good, you? Not too bad at all. Another busy week went by. Yeah, another busy week. A lot of a lot more news, a lot more stuff going on, and a lot more share that, uh, that that we need to we need to share with our listeners. And uh, <laughs> we um, again, I want to tell everyone that we're we're happy with the reception so far we're getting some good comments indicated that we had a bit of audio issues in some of the episodes and primarily the most recent one dave and i did uh we did the one with um when we talked about the the rescinding of the emergency act um we're working on audio stuff and i think this episode is going to be our best audio yet so bear with us and keep sending us comments good or and share with friends Right, Dave? Yep, that's good. Should we mm-hmm. uh, make sure we remember to get into our sponsor before we start talking about all the fun stuff we've got to talk about tonight? Yeah, for sure, Dave. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll pass it to you to introduce this week's sponsor. Okay, this week's episode is brought to you by the Ottawa Police Services, OPS, or as we're otherwise affectionately known as, Ottawa Pretend Services. Have a problem with peaceful protesters making you look bad politically? No problem. We'll pretend they're violent and use violence to get rid of them. But don't worry. If you think it'll look bad if we use violence, the Ottawa Pretend Services has you covered there too. Just implement something called the Emergency Act, and then we'll be fully justified in using violence to eliminate peaceful protesters. Oops. We, we meant to say violent protesters. Are you concerned that conditions don't exist to be able to legally implement the Emergency Act? No worries, dear tyrant customers. We've got you covered there too. After all, we're so good at pretending. We'll pretend those conditions exist and we'll use the Emergency Act so well that your peaceful protester problem will... Uh- Dave, oh, you did it again. You said you said peaceful protesters. They wanted you to, to say violent protesters. Ah, oh, crap. Sorry. Okay, your violent protester problem, including those pesky, terrorizing bouncy castles, will be gone before a parliament even votes on the act. We at the Ottawa Pretend Services are a thorough bunch. We're so good that even if some of those peaceful... Damn it, Reggie, I did it again. We're, we're going to have to edit this out after, okay? Yeah, the Ottawa <laughs> pretend service are not going to like this. No, <clears throat> we'll start over. Even if some of those violent, racist, misogynistic protesters are trampled or otherwise injured by our service, we'll simply tweet out that no one was injured by our operations, and the mainstream media will even report that video evidence to the contrary ottawa police i mean ottawa pretend services your organization for state sanctioned violent solutions no officers or any members of any boards we are connected to resigned over these operations perfect that's 
that was a that was a great uh um uh sponsor um i hope everybody keeps them in mind whenever they have uh they have uh violent peaceful protests they want to squash um um good comedy to start the start the hour and uh makes us reflect on what truly happened over the last uh, three weeks uh it was you know mind-boggling to see the the amount of like we called it propaganda that that happened um because we you know we both saw first there was no violence i mean there was annoying car horns but there was and then all of a sudden we just were told that it was just unbearably violent and police had to get violent and it just none of it makes sense so anyways let's let's move on eh, Dave? <laughs> yeah we we've got sort of a a nice interest story here the uh it was a i guess a couple of weekends ago now when we were taking part in our local sturgeon falls protest there was a car that stopped on the side of the highway and and actually backed and and chatted for just a couple minutes and he was actually talking to to my wife and a friend uh i wasn't lucky enough to be in on the conversation um but it's a really cool story we wanted to share with you so i'm not sure if this fellow was uh part of the hockey tournament that was there there was a street hockey tournament in front of the supreme court of canada and I don't know if this fellow actually won the Unity Cup or if he had designed and built it, but he had had the Unity Cup in his car and he was heading home to BC. So the Unity Cup was a, a replica Stanley Cup that was built and signed by all kinds of people. And, and of course, that was the, the impetus for playing the street hockey games in front of and as part of the protest. Um, so just the fact that, that this guy, he'd been in Ottawa for a month, he had to have been super tired and, and really keen to get home and had a long trip ahead of him yet, but he stopped seeing our group of protesters and took more time out of his day and his, his trip home just to encourage the folks that were there and tell them to, to keep up the good work and, and not to give up. Um, so Again, just it's kind of a small world, and it was a neat little story to share with everybody from something we experienced. Yeah, and that 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 hockey game was a cool event at the, you know, along with the bouncy castles. Like, not many people knew that they had every night, and and there was a big part of the protest, big part of what made this movement so Canadian, and a big part of what made it, you know, nonviolent and peaceful and fun loving, and you know possibly annoying but not extremist in any way every night so <laughs> that's not what terrorists exactly exactly that's what canadians do when they protest but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anyways um yeah the next story we wanted to share was um the latest numbers from and this will be very local so and right now most of our audience are local but so we wanted to share some of the recent numbers from our and it, it they're they're interesting statistics because they they speak to the just the hypocrisy of of health units in general we our health unit and aware that our health unit doesn't have the most popular person chairing or leading their their the health unit are 
esteemed Dr. Shirko, <laughs> who uh, who closed down our snowmobile trails and and toboggan hills and kept us under lockdown for an extra month last year when Toronto, Peel, and Ottawa were open with multiple times more cases than we were. But I digress. Um, recently, so the, the interesting thing is that in our region, uh, if everybody's aware of this, but we are in the midst of some of the, the biggest outbreaks we have ever seen. And we've had more cases, more deaths and more hospitalizations in the last two months than we have ever seen throughout this pandemic. And the reason why it's interesting, it's not, it's not good news because I, I don't appreciate or I don't, I don't find any, in any, anybody being hospitalized or any cases going up, but I, I looked, Try to contrast them to where we were at about a year ago, because a year ago is when things got really crazy around here, where, you know, we were in a province-wide lockdown and then the whole province was reopening up, but our, our health unit decided that no, things were just too in the North Bay region. We can't open up. Stores have to close. If you want to do your shopping, we had to go to Sudbury. We had to drive to Toronto to go shopping. We couldn't uh, go to outdoor rinks. We couldn't do snowmobile trails. And the reason was we had 20 to 30 new cases reported on a weekly basis and we had a massive outbreak at a nursing home and do you know what massive was dave oh it must we, have been like four or five hundred right oh no 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 we had 13 cases reported at a nursing home in north bay and i believe every one of them turned out to be a false positive um it was 13 and that you know made us go nuts and we had to stay in a we had to close down everything again we were reporting 20 to 30 cases per week um, we were at any point in time no more than we never ever surpassed the 100 active case count and we never had more than a dozen or so cases at any nursing home in the region fast forward a year oh and we at the time we had reported i think two deaths winter wave um, of covid and to boot because we were we were not a priority region for vaccines again don't didn't make much sense that we weren't a priority according to our health district we were at such high risk but so we weren't uh, we had a virtually um, i think very close to zero vaccination rate fully vaccination rate at the time but in spite of that we were reporting you know 20 to 30 cases a week had reported two deaths over the and um had i don't think we ever got more than two due to or with covid at any given moment now fast forward a year we've gone to i think an 88 percent vaccination rate in the region we've fired pretty much every employee in the region that is not fully vaccinated um, we've gotten to the point where we have some of the strictest in our local nursing homes where residents and visitors need three vaccines. And I think staff are going to require three vaccines very shortly. Um, I think are up to four vaccines now as well. Um, anyhow, now we just reported this past week, um, we reported the, our 14th death in 2022 um so the the whole region has had tw 23 deaths um since COVID, since the pandemic started and 14 of them have happened just in the last eight weeks um 
eight of the deaths have occurred just in February. So again, none of these COVID deaths are anything that we want to make light of, but we have experienced 14 deaths just this year when last year we had experienced only two during the winter season. And you know what Dr. Shiriko's most recent statements were when most recent deaths last week, he said, his direct quote, he said, the vaccines are showing to be a tremendous benefit. And the data is showing that the number of deaths have been lessened by the widespread vaccination of vulnerable populations, plus a third and fourth dose for the highest risk individuals. So I, I, I almost feel like I'm in a when he said this, like he was, he said, we're seeing that we're getting a tremendous benefit from the vaccine because we have 14 deaths season when we had only two last winter season with no vaccines. But that wasn't even the craziest that his health unit shared in the last week. When we achieved this, the most recent deaths, bringing us up to 22 in just in the past, and 14 of them being in the past two two months, the health unit specifically said that they would not be providing um, information on deaths and vaccination status. This was a question asked, I guess, by media outlets. And the health unit said, we will not be providing a breakdown on deaths based on vaccination status, low case counts in our region. This, in, they went on to say, the numbers, the regional numbers are not draw any meaningful conclusion. The data can and does not provide a full picture of the risks. Their quote, again, their direct quote saying that we know there's been 14, how many of them were vaccinated, how many were not vaccinated. Because we don't provide meaningful conclusions to be misrepresented. Here's the problem I have with this. If the numbers were shown, 14 deaths were all unvaccinated, or maybe even if the, if half of them were unvaccinated, which could show that the unvaccinated were such a risk to the region, the health disinformation, clearly, they would be sharing it plain and simple. They would say, proportionally in the unvaccinated, get vaccinated. What this tells me is that most likely the most recent deaths have been all in this didn't work. Um, there's other reasons that show why the vaccine may not have worked. We thought it would. But the fact is that most last few months have been in our local nursing homes. And our local nursing homes have an extremely high vaccination rate. So does everybody in the 80 plus demographic. Plus that the chances are that almost every death that has occurred over the last eight weeks have in people that are fully vaccinated just by virtue that that demographic is fully vaccinated. So again, they're saying that they won't share the information because it won't provide a meaningful, but they would absolutely share it if it would provide the meaningful conclusion that the unvaccinated are dying in greater numbers. Um, in that case, they would not say the data is misrepresented or the number conclusion. They would absolutely share it. And I think that's what, a lot of people are just fed up with with these health authorities and media because 
give us the information, good or bad. If you're only giving it to us when it fits a narrative, then we're never going to trust it. And I think, I think that's the problem. Right, Dave? Yeah, I, I think that they still haven't learned that people are, generally speaking, intelligent enough to look at numbers themselves and draw conclusions. And they're taking an approach where if they can't convince us that the data is meaningful with the merits of their arguments, rather than share the data and try to convince us, they're just hiding the data and telling us what they want us to conclude instead of actually presenting it and, and making it a kind of a, a logical explanation. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that, that the health unit and the, and the media are not raising questions about is that, you know, to write when we were getting ready to do this episode today, you know, I had to do a bit of research and go find what the latest numbers were and what the outbreaks were and how much active cases we had. And I had to do a lot of digging because we're not reporting on these issues as not even not even close to where we were reporting last year. Everybody remembers when Castle Home in North Bay homes in the region had had an outbreak of 13 cases last year and it happened on the day we were supposed to leave lockdown but it was used as a justification to keep our region in an extra lockdown for an additional month that was we were well, talking about I, 13 i need i gotta cut you off there yep. reggie i don't think everybody yep. remembers that because based mm -hmm. on the comments you read from dr shiriko just a couple minutes ago <laughs> i think he's obviously forgotten about this <laughs> yeah good point dave um but when when those cases happen 10 stories written over that weekend just talking about the the 13 active cases at a nursing home we have 13 cases in a nursing home the sky is falling everybody needs to do their part this past weekend we got to a nursing home local local i mean in west nipissing au chateau has just climbed to 84 cases of covid in this relatively small nursing home um i believe they maybe 200 beds or residents, and they are now up to 84 cases of COVID. Um, and, and the media, it's not a headline. Uh, it's tucked um, in the story from the North Bay Nugget, who, which is our main newspaper in the region. They essentially provide, they're, at this rate, they're, they're writing one story a week on COVID. Outline that we're up to 14 deaths um, in the in the just in 2022. Um, so 14 out of 20 just in in this the past eight weeks. Um, they reported that we're up to 212 active cases of. Um, again, I remember that last year we had never more than 50 active cases, but we're up to 212, and we have 84 cases at the at the Oshato nursing home, and we have active outbreaks at every other nursing home in the region. Um, why isn't this headline news? Um, the health unit's not doing daily press conferences when we have 84 cases at a nursing home. Um, and these are nursing homes that, again, have a 90 plus percent vaccination rate, well, 100% vaccination rate among staff um, and probably rating among residents. Um, why aren't we talking about these things? And my theory is we're not talking about them. The, the media is not talking about them. The health unit wants to talk bottom stories is because when we do start talking to them, they're asking questions like, did the right approach? Did it make sense to fire healthcare workers? 
Did it make sense to fire every employee that was unvaccinated? Did it make sense to restrict um, uh, nursing home residents from their loved ones who were unvaccinated for months at a time? Even still today, they can't even get visits from a lot of their loved ones who are unvaccinated. Did all of these measures work? I mean, never mind. Did they, were they even counterintuitive possibly? Like, I mean, a lack of, of staff something new but it's been exacerbated i guess by the the firing or laying off of, of staff in hospitals and nursing homes that were unvaccinated and you know we have literally 100 times more cases in these homes than we did before the before we instituted these rules so a little bit of a rant there um about the uh the false narratives that were being sold in our region and the and and again one of Dr. from last week, well, I don't have the exact quote, but he said, I think we're on the right track and I support reopening. So contrast that, Dave, a year ago, he was saying, careful, careful, we cannot open a single business. We can't open, uh, we can't open trails. We can't open Toboggan Hills. And we had 20 cases in a week. Now we're reporting in a week. Every nursing home has an outbreak. And Shiriko says, I think we're on the right track and I'm okay with businesses opening. I think it's the right move. I absolutely do think open businesses. I think we're always on the right track. Um, I think he was absolutely wrong last year to deny us these things. And it's going to... Yeah, I think, I think we, we, the writing's on the wall. I think we just have to realize that... Not in lead. You know, with the... Um, I guess... I, we haven't been led in the right direction. Obviously, we weren't given last year. Like, obviously, twenty cases a week was not something. So, right. Yeah, and, and I think it just shows that they're they're changing their views or they're changing so that they don't lose authority. They're trying to save face, and that's mm-hmm. that would never have happened if their role was simply to provide information as opposed to mm-hmm. implementing rules and regulations that restrict the freedom of residents of our region. So that that's in a nutshell, that's a, a good a year over year comparison here is a really good reason to show why these public health bureaucrats that are unelected should not have the sort of uh, power and uh, responsibility isn't the right word because they're not taking responsibility for um, poor numbers or poor results in a year-over-year comparison, mm-hmm. but their, um, their results just haven't proven out their comments from a year ago. Exactly. I think that public health authorities, you know, they should be into their role, which was their traditional role two years ago, three years ago. They were there to give advice recommend things um, to institute uh, policies in the community that would help things but they they had never ever gotten involved in restricting freedom like this and um, I guess they bit off more than they could chew because I, I almost feel at some points and I feel bad for the health authorities because they're never going to come back from this credibility trust I when I hear quotes like this I just cringe and I think you're treating me like a, like a child 
And you're telling me, well, the analogy that I, I think of is, is like saying, uh, if I, if I was a six year old and I, and I went and ate, uh, ate, And you slapped my hand and said, you can't steal two cookies. That's, you cannot do that. That's the worst thing you could do and go to your room and you gave me hell. And then the next time, you know, I went and ate 30 cookies and you said, well, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. And, you know, and I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't know what to make of that. And I, <laughs> I, uh, I don't really know was, was 30 too much Two obviously was, Two obviously was a not big deal. You obviously exaggerated then, but where is a good number? Like, I mean, eighty-six cases in our local nursing home is a is a success story. Um, obviously, we did something wrong. Um, I don't restrictions in these nursing homes. We've done everything. Like literally, um, we essentially restricted them. almost all visitor access for months. We fired everybody who was unvaccinated and we get 86, 84. So uh, again, mind boggling. And um, uh, it made me want to just touch on quickly that they, in the past week, they also um, opened up the nursing homes again. And this is even in our region as well. They're going to open up nursing homes across the province. And by opening up, they're essentially saying that they're going to start allowing visitors again. And when you read some of these articles, you know, from the minister of long-term care saying that we're going to, back in, like you feel like open future because could change long-term resident resident in any one of these articles with the word prisoner. And it would, it would flow like a normal story because that's how we've treated these residents. And, you know, the Minister of Long-Term Care has issued guidance that says that prisoners can now begin having visitors do since the, it said since before Christmas. Uh, and I don't want to go into the, 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 the bulk of the articles, but yeah, we're um, it just goes to show of what we what we allowed to happen at these nursing homes, and obviously the way they wanted it to. No, and it's a sad reality that, that that's the case, that, that the, that's the approach we took. And we did not, or when I say we, the, the public health bureaucrats did not consider that different residents might have different needs. There was no personal freedom of choice allowed. Because mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. see that for some residents, yes, COVID would be a huge concern and a huge issue, and they may wish to have isolated and done everything they can to avoid it. But other residents were missing their loved ones, their grandkids, their sons, their daughters, their friends. And mm -hmm. how, how can we gauge how much that's shortened the life of those that did not wish to be treated like they were in a prison? And, mm -hmm. and that's the sad part of what's happened here when we took away the, the freedom to choose from individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Anyways, enough of the um, local um, COVID numbers. Um, what's the next story you wanted to talk about, Dave? I think we were going to move on to the uh, 
I guess some of the outlandish quotes you have from the Ottawa police over the last week. Oh, oh yeah. The, um, so, uh, you know, we started off and, and our sponsors are not going to like this, Dave, but <laughs> we're going to, we're going to lose the, but, the sponsor. We never. Yeah. But we told them sponsor our episode, but we're, we're going to say it how it is. We, uh, and for future sponsors, you know, we don't mince words. We we speak. We 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 talk like them. Um, we, we can <laughs> shoot ourselves in the foot with tear gas canisters, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that th- that was the interesting part of the Ottawa Police, um, and why I wanted to bring up some of their tweets. They've been they had an extremely active Twitter account during the, the protests. Well, not during the protests, but during the squashing of the protests, and a lot of people were them because they were um well some people were happy about it because they were being very open and communicating with the public but their the, the tweets they were sending in the protests were very dystopian and like they were essentially saying like if you are participating in this protest we will find you um at some point they essentially said no protests are allowed um and it, it, the type, type of comments you would never hear from a police service like they weren't even saying like you know, pre- pair like uh, prefacing because you can only put what so many characters on Twitter. So they weren't prefacing saying like illegal protests aren't allowed or I don't understand what the concept of illegal. They weren't saying you know, occupying. They were just saying like protests weren't allowed. And they got caught in a couple lies at some point where they tweeted something saying we have not used chemical products or gases. And then people would like find video. Or, or photos, and then an hour later, they would have to tweet something saying, uh, "Our it seems our police service has had to use chemical uh, uh, gases, but it was only used for our protection because the because protesters were becoming too aggressive." So they got some issues like that. They always had to sort of blame it on, "Oh, the the protesters were aggressive." So they they didn't have a good. Um, I don't know. I I found their communication wasn't wasn't the greatest. But over the past week, they've been. They haven't stopped. Um, just this past week, they've been issuing statements such as um, just three days ago, they said something like they are working hard to rehabilitate the streets. Um, they're they're comparing this like as if they were they're covering from a war zone. Um, they also hold a, um, a cleansing ceremony uh, hosted by some Aboriginal elders um, a few days ago. And they they preface this this tweet by saying that um, there was inappropriate ceremonies done during the convoy protests, and that was an issue that was some of the organizers had done a tribal ceremony, but they were doing it with the help some elders that were in attendance. But some people didn't like the image that some of the organizers were involved in traditional Aboriginal people, so. Um, it created a bit of controversy, but what struck me was when Ottawa Police Service gets involved in saying they're gonna, what they're the one cleansing um, ceremony. Um, it's just weird. I mean, like, why are they the ones hosting these types of cleansing ceremony? They're just trying to reinforce the idea that a violent extremist event. And you know what, Dave? I can't wait till. Well, I don't know. I'm just, I dread the day where we find out that they're going to create a national holiday to commemorate all the the trauma that was inflicted on on the city of Ottawa during this peaceful protest, and it's going to be led by by Justin Trudeau. 
Yeah, the the insanity of that is is kind of crazy, and, and I think you and I have both heard from people that were in Ottawa, and the firsthand mm-hmm. accounts of everyone I've talked to that was there was that the area where the truckers were was cleaner mm-hmm. and better kept than it it was prior to when the truckers being there. That it was safer and cleaner, mm-hmm. and the Ottawa mm-hmm. police would have us believe the opposite. I know, and and I've seen some stats shown in the last few weeks that showed that like the city in general were actually lower while the truckers were there, um, <laughs> and nobody's talking about that. Um, it, it, there was a narrative, there was a preconceived narrative before the truckers even arrived. You know, they sold it, and hopefully, there's a quote that that I heard that said that you know the. Tr- the truth comes out in the end, you know, I think that what this protest was in, in the short term might be hard to come across, but we're going to have to deal with a lot of these crazy tweets from the Ottawa police and Justin Trudeau, but this protest was about and, and what it, it will be properly remembered in for the generations to come. But I, I wanted to talk about the, the most going on in Ottawa this, this weekend. And, and like you said, Dave, um, so there was some protests this weekend in Ottawa, and these are protests that I think Dave and I both say we would agree with. Protests by Ukrainian Canadians and people that were supporting Ukraine. Um, they were protesting, I guess, the, the war that just started Russia attacking Ukraine. Um, and I don't, I think we, we discussed this earlier, we don't really know enough about this topic right now but it's something we want to make a maybe a full episode and share some of our views on the russia ukrainian conflict but i i fully supported these ukrainian canadians that wanted to to protest in the nation's capital and in the in toronto as well and that's what they did over this past weekend um regardless of what my view is on the whole situation and i think everybody has the right to, to peacefully protest um but anyways just the stark hypocrisy from this there was multiple streets closed in the city of ottawa this weekend because this protest drew drew a crowd so large um ottawa police service actually had saying that um hold on i'll get this tweet dave they said that there's going to be rolling uh, road closures throughout the downtown core on Saturday due to ongoing demonstrations. These demonstrations are the peaceful ones related to the war in Ukraine. So the Ottawa police are that's the guess, to tweet out saying that this is related to a peaceful demonstration, essentially implying that, oh, this one's okay. We're going to, they're allowed to close streets and, and, and we're going to support them. And, Again, how many protests have happened in the past where streets have been closed because of peaceful protests? And I don't disagree with these because they're generally um, achieving a goal and generally they're not disrupting traffic to a certain extent. But this is very similar to... They essentially closed off, what, one street in the city of Ottawa? And they called it a blockade. Now, there's protests going on this weekend and nobody's talking about blockades. Nobody's talking about... Um, like there was literally hundreds of people on Parliament Hill, and they had to close down streets. But this is there was liberal ministers there. Um, I think Christian Freeland was there. Um, the um, prominent members of the governing party were there to talk. 
and to hear them out and to support them into this protest. So, yeah, it's when I when I read the news of what happened over this past weekend, again, I was I was excited to see people exercise their democratic right to protest. But I was just blown away by the hypocrisy that we are just forgetting the fact that we crushed a peaceful protest just a week ago for essentially blocking a single street and we and agree or disagree with the idea of blocking a street blocking a street was called a blockade an occupation um an extremist um an extremist occupation that was looking to overthrow government and in the other case it's just called a peaceful protest Hmm. yeah and i think one thing we need to be aware of is that they right now the whole Ukraine issue is essentially being used to try to shut people up in Canada who were advocating for freedom for not only the past month but the past two years by trying mm-hmm. to tell them that others in in war torn Ukraine are worse off and and these these people that are doing that they don't acknowledge that the more or less the overall levels of freedom can't just be turned on and off like a light switch but Mm -hmm. your overall level of freedom is something that you kind of steadily lose or steadily gain from from the culmination of of a whole bunch of freedom issues or of liberty based issues and they're Mm -hmm. they're trying to just cover that up all at at once and and trying to to shut people up by saying oh you have nothing to worry about don't advocate for freedoms in canada because those in Ukraine are much worse off. So I think in a future episode, we'll have to take a, a deeper look at the Ukraine-Russia issue. And I think we can find some potentially unacceptable views for our <laughs> for people to consider. And that neither the government, and that includes in this case, the liberals and the conservatives and mainstream media are telling us about, because there are always two sides to a story. And, and again, it is it is sad anytime there's a, countries at war and there's people being displaced. But um, the idea that I've heard many people say, "Oh, these freedom protesters, they should uh, they should be a wake up call, complaining about freedom because look what's happening in Ukraine." And when I hear comments like that, I living under a rock for the last fifty years. I mean. Yes, it's sad that some people are losing their freedom in Ukraine. People, there's millions of people that, are, that have lost their freedom in Yemen, in Syria, in China. Um, there's 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 over a dozen conflicts going around the world right now that predate this conflict, where millions of people have lost their freedom, where millions of people are dying, where millions are being displaced. Um, all sad situations. Um so to say that all of a sudden there's there's a new conflict and now we should just sort of and say, oh well, you know, complain about freedom when 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 you know Ukraine's going going through this war right now and it's like both situations are sad. You know, if you want to fight for Ukraine um, economy, um, you can do that at the same time as saying I want Canadians to have autonomy. You know. And, and the right to peacefully protest. So I think it actually means we we need to fight even more, you know, to to prevent authoritarian governments from from creeping up. You know, the we we discussed this in a previous previous episode. Um, one of the biggest 
um, controversies when counter protesters started showing up at at um, at some of these the, the freedom protests. Flags um, and the liberal, you know, we had Albert, um, Alberta's uh, Jason Kenney calling it out, saying, "Anytime we see a communist flag, we need to call it out and say that we do not we do not accept that ideology, or we we as a government, it's not something we support, and we condemn any type of communist flags." And you know why? Because communist regimes are the ones who create people like Putin, and we need to fight back on those issues, but um, it seems like now is a more important time than ever to fight back against those ideologies. That's the the argument that's being made. Um, yeah, any thoughts on that? Uh, well, I think you you hit the nail on the head when you said that we can fight for freedom for others at the same time as we fight for freedom in our own country. One doesn't have to exclude the other. And if, yeah. if we take any message out of that or if we counter this message that freedom advocates in Canada should shut up right now while something else is going on, uh, to me, the best comeback is no, we, we fight for freedom for all people, not just for a select few. Yeah. And an interesting point I wanted to make that I, I mentioned to you earlier before the episode was that um, in Ukraine, Ukraine has one of the lowest vaccines. Um, I looked at the recent numbers today. Um, only 35% of Ukrainians have chosen to get the first dose at this point, which leaves that 60% of the Ukrainian population is unvaccinated. Um, so Ukraine hasn't, and, and they, you know, there may be good or bad issues with having a low vaccine rate, um, but they haven't as a country instituted um, extreme vaccine mandates. You know, they haven't instituted Based employment and vaccine-based uh, travel restrictions to the extent Canada has. So when people say, um, you know, you, you, should, you shouldn't care about freedom, that wants to just eliminate man. Freedom's got, or con- Ukraine's got bigger problems. And you're, you could say, well, they may. But if you asked any Ukrainian um, today, you went on the streets of Ukraine and you said, you think the, the truckers' convoy uh, had a good point to make. I bet you most of them... And, we all know that the, the truckers' convoy in Canada was worldwide news, and probably a lot of people in Ukraine knew about it. I bet you most of them were on the side of the Freedom Convoy as well. So um, it's just something to keep in mind that you know, Ukrainians not put up for any of these vaccine mandates either, and they would likely be on the side of, of freedom. As, um, and it's something to keep in mind as well, because we're hearing a lot of, a lot of uh, statements being made by Justin Trudeau, leader, um, said that Canada should um, expedite or expedite um, refugee claims for Ukrainians and we should start bringing in more Ukrainians. And somebody made an interesting comment on Twitter saying, well, if we expedite these people in our country, you're essentially asking them to come in the country, but you may not let them in because of their vaccine status. You know, it's uh, 65% of them aren't vaccinated. So, and if, and you know, if they do choose to come here to a country where they're not allowed to leave anymore. So, you know, they, of course, they, they, they may still choose coming here because they, nobody wants to be in a conflict zone. But, you know, we used to be such a great place for refugees. 
strive to come to was Canada, the land of freedom. People came here for freedom. Now, you know, we'd be saying we want to welcome Ukrainian refugees because, you know, we do accept a lot of refugees. We're a very humanitarian country. You can come to our country, but a lot of your rights will be rescinded the moment you arrive here. You likely won't be able to get, jo get a job. Again, remember, 65% of Ukrainians are unvaccinated. So we will welcome these refugees here, but you will likely not be able to get a job. Um, you won't be able to then you won't be able to travel on a plane or train or leave the country. Um, so, you know, it's something we have to reflect on. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna fight for freedom for the freedom of Ukrainians, let's put ourselves in their shoes and see what they want. And mm, I think that's the a big enough wake up call for Justin Trudeau to finally eliminate these mandates, uh, and hopefully he will before we start accepting, um, you know, rightfully so, some Ukrainian refugees. So. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the thing we can keep repeating over and over and over again is that freedom doesn't discriminate, but politicians do. Yeah. That's a good way to to maybe wrap up the, the podcast. Hey, did we have anything else we wanted to anything else on your list, we, Dave? I, I think we better save something for the next episode before people get sick of listening to me. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Um, again, we like Dave said, I think we want to maybe do an episode on the Ukraine-Russia stuff and share some of our unacceptable views. But I always tell everybody, if anybody has any show ideas or questions they want us to answer, um, maybe you're interested in finding out what Dave and Reggie's unacceptable view is on this or that. Let us know and maybe we can answer them on the podcast. And again, share the podcast with people you think would enjoy it and Facebook and other social media guide on the podcast. Any closing messages, Dave? That that's it for me. We'll talk to everybody again soon. Okay. Talk to you guys later.